Do we see at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Berzo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. Welcome to a very special series of conversations, diving deep into the mindset shift needed for the regenerative transition. Hosted by Emma Chow, friend of the show and active in the regenerative space for a while, she worked with many of the largest food corporations in the world and went on a deep personal regeneration journey, leading, among other things, to a love for cacao. This is the first time we host another voice on the podcast, so I hope you all give her a very warm welcome. Emma, the mic is yours. Thanks, Kuhn. It's great to be back, and this time in the hosting seat. Through six rich conversations with a range of guests, we're exploring the role of the mind. What mindset enables people to serve as regenerative leaders for a radically better food system? What are the common threads across these conversations? Well, we're about to find out. We're looking at regeneration from the inside out. This series is supported by our friends at Stray, who are exploring systemic investing with awe and wonder, as well as our friends at Mustard Seed Trust, who are enabling a transition to a care economy that fosters regenerative food systems. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope the conversations crack the door open for you and invite you to explore new ways of thinking and embodiment towards a regenerative tomorrow. Does the way we act define the stories we tell? Or is it that the stories we tell define the way we act? Today, we go deep into the role of narratives in accelerating food systems transformation. The stories we shape about our food, where it came from, who created the conditions for it to thrive, and the living systems they're a part of, influence the way we value our food, experience it, perceive nature, and our relationship as part of nature. Get ready for a journey into conscious food systems with two inspiring guests. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the show. Today is a special episode because I'm joined by not just one, but two guests. My first guest is Thomas Legron. He is the lead technical advisor for the Conscious Food Systems Alliance, which is convened by UNDP, the United Nations Development Program. And he's also the author of a book called Politics of Being. My second guest is Louise Camargo. He is, amongst other roles, um, the founder and director of Organization for Environmental Education and Protection, and he's also the IUCN Commission on Education and Communication Regional Vice Chair for South America. Both of them individually and together, they're doing some pretty amazing work, and I'm really excited to explore it all together. Thomas, Louise, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Emma. Pleasure to be with you and Louise. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be in this conversation. I'm sure it's going to be really exciting and expanding. Mm, yeah, thank you. And I want to dive right in. As you know, this series is all about the regenerative mind. And this isn't necessarily a commonly heard phrase. So for you, when you hear regenerative mind, what comes up? 
<laughs> okay, I should go first, I see. Uh, regenerative man, I mean, there's a lot of uh, things. I mean, it's really the focus of our work at the Conscious Food Systems Alliance. But I, I think in particular, uh, you know, repairing what we have, uh, you know, the destruction we have caused to nature, uh, working, being part of nature and working with it uh, rather than against it. And uh, I would say, you know, uh, reconnecting with ourselves, uh, each other and nature. What about you, Luis? I would agree. I think a regenerative mind for me is a mind that actually acknowledges uh, that, that we are nature, uh, that we are part of an interconnected, interdependent system, and that we actually can activate our capacity to become designers and actors in creating the, condu the conditions for life to thrive, um, like Janine Benio says. I love that these pieces about being part of nature, I think is important. And, you know, that is the work that you both are doing in your day to day. And before we go any further, maybe Tomas, can you first share for those who've never heard of the Conscious Food Systems Alliance from the UN, briefly, just what is it? What's it working towards? Yeah, so we are um, a community of uh, people dedicated to uh, this issue, you know, of how we are and cultivate, we talk about the inner capacities, so mindset, values, worldviews, uh, transformative qualities and skills that activate regeneration. So it's very much about this regenerative mind, we could say, uh, trying to cultivate together uh, these minds through learning from each other, collaborating, and uh, yes, and bringing that to all uh, projects and organizations working to transform food systems. And when did it start? Uh, it was launched publicly a year ago, uh, in late, uh, 2022, after two years of co-creation with partners. And what was the motivation? Because I know at least in some of my conversations when I've mentioned COFSA and then that it's the back by the UN, people are sometimes surprised. Um, so I'm curious from your inside view, what was some of the key motivations for the UN to, to be behind something like this? Indeed, it's quite an unusual initiative uh, in the UN systems. And I've heard that people, you know, when they read our website, some, 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 uh, sometimes, you know, they are surprised to see uh, it is uh, convened by UNDP. So I think it started from uh, the journey of Andrew Bovanik, who heads up uh, food and agriculture within UNDP. Uh, he has worked for 10 years on... Uh, um, how to try to green uh, uh, sustainable uh, value chains, to build sustainable value chains, and uh, trying to bring you know, all the, the stakeholders together to better collaborate. And he realized that one important dimension that was missing to really uh, you know, um, make this work uh, really impactful is to work on the inner side of, uh, on the people who are part of these, uh, dialogues it was convening. So, uh, also being, um, through his own journey, he, you know, he, he saw, uh, the potential of, you know, inner transformation, uh, and not only at the, at the individual level, but also, uh, what it could mean for our work in sustainability. So he decided to um, to uh, to develop that uh, that initiative. 
And then tell me, because we didn't just bring you two together randomly. Um, it was definitely by design and you're doing some interesting work together where your worlds are colliding. Maybe Louise, can you share what you're working on? Yes. Uh, my work is focused on mostly on education or inspired by education. And uh, I run OPEPA, which is the Organization for Environmental Education and Protection. And our main obje objective is reconnecting people to the earth in order to accelerate the transition towards sustainable and regenerative cultures. Uh, and in the process of understanding the human nature let's say, gap, you know, the break in relationships that we've created during the last couple of uh, centuries, I would say, that has increased, we realized that connecting deeply was really important. So we brought that idea into education and we have developed in 25 years of working, you know, an, an understanding of education that needs to bring nature to the center. And... You know, and bringing nature to the center has to do with a relational focus of the work. Because ultimately, we started reconnecting people to nature, but realized that as we were doing that, people were being reconnected to others, and they were being reconnected to themselves. So we realized that that triad of relationships is fundamental to activate what we uh, would call the regenerative capacities in human beings. If we're not able to actually connect deeply with ourselves, with others, and with nature, and synchronize those relationships, uh, it's impossible for us to really activate our regenerative minds. Um, and in this process of my work, you know, connecting deeply, maybe awakening our capacity to sense the visible and the invisible and acting regeneratively is critical as let's say the, the trunks of, of the work, but the canopy has to do with nourishing those capacities and nourishing those capacities is directly related to food systems because ultimately our bodies are nourished by the interactions and collaborations around all of our planet. So if we're going to have a drop of honey, that honey was brought to our tongues by so many magical interactions of so many organisms and elements that is incredible. And if we are not able to recognize and connect to that, you know, it's impossible for us to recognize and connect to our natural selves. So that's where we ultimately get connected. And I, I learn of Kovsa early in the game and participate. And I love it because I think, you know, being conscious and bringing inner capacities to all we do, especially what nourishes that canopy that allows and enables us to connect deeply, to awaken our natural spirit and to act generatively uh, is fundamental. Mm, such important work. And that's the exact motivation why we're even having this podcast series to explicitly talk about these inner capacities, because at least in my experience, it's often overlooked. It's like we just mention it one time, oh, the mindset's important or being connected and remembering that we're part of nature is important. And then off we go totally consumed with, um, you know, measuring different aspects of the soil health and things, which is totally vital. But what you're saying, it, we can't separate ourselves um, and our inner landscape with the outer landscape and vice versa. So thank you for that. And, you know, clearly you're both inherently 
carrying and embodying um, the regenerative mindset as we're understanding it. But was this always the case or did you go through an either gradual or quite um, quick shift in your own worldview and understanding of living systems and yourself within it? Maybe, Thomas, we can start with you on that one. Our friends at Planetary Evergreen Impact Ventures are looking for a fund director and a senior investment manager. And you get to work with friend of the show, Thomas Hogenhaven. Listen to our conversation with Thomas below and find out more on the positions at planetary.dk. That's planetary delta kilo. Uh, to me, it's very connected. I would uh, I've experienced it as a spiritual journey. And uh, it started for me some 20 years ago when I was doing a student exchange in Mexico. And uh, through connection with native spirituality, I experienced uh, a profound reconnection, I would say, uh, to the earth and also at the same time to myself. I was reminded that when I was just uh, listening to, to Luis, now how these two uh, connections go together. And this really uh, changed my life and I, I prioritized uh, my own uh, inner journey in, uh, in my life. I said that as a priority. And it really put me on, it changed also uh, the way I, um, I envisage my professional life. Uh, it put me into a path of service. I, I did a few years later a PhD in ecological economics uh, on forest conservation in Costa Rica because what I experienced in particular in Mexico was this deep reconnection with the forest in particular. And I, and I learned later how that was uh yeah um linked to um my soul journey i think i'm as a soul i'm coming more from the from the forest and uh, uh so that was you know through the forest uh reconnection with uh, with my soul uh which led to me to uh you know um explore different uh, wisdom traditions and now I live uh, next to the monastery of Zen master Tiknatan uh, Plum Village in the in the southwest of France who consider by the way that the mind is also organic so uh, that's just what came to me when we started talking about the regenerative mind is that even in uh, according to Buddhist teaching even the mind is uh, organic and is constantly evolving which somehow neuroscience also uh, uh, recognize mm, the dynamicism that we see in the living systems yeah and the plasticity of it all sounds like it's been quite a fundamental piece of your adult development and it happened quite early in your life what about you louise well in my case i think um i've lived with it but not recognized it always so you know, I was born in Bogota, in Colombia, and Colombia, for me, has always represented a really nature-rich uh, space. You know, we are one of the richest in biodiversity in the world, but beyond that, my experience as a young boy uh, was influenced by my grandparent, uh, who had a lot of work in the fields and in farms. <clears throat> in that process, I had a lot of contact with nature in different ways. So I think that's where I ultimately started to synchronize. 
nonetheless, as I went into high school and, you know, my adolescent years, I kind of forgot that totally. Um, and went into the, the normal, you know, a run and flow of life and thinking of a career and a future. Um, I did go to mechanical engineering, but I didn't find my place there. I then did a master's in fine art. So you start seeing where that, you know, dissonance is, is pushing me from side to side. Uh, and during my master's in fine arts, I really focused on something I loved, with which was nature and the way nature worked. Uh, my master's was in, in animation and design. So I focused it at communications on planetary issues. Um, and in that process, I realized that, you know, I was getting lost in what I thought I had to do. And I went into a short, self-induced, uh, you know, uh, let's say meditation for 10 day with a 10 day fast. And it was a rite of passage that I created for myself. And in that process, the question I wanted to solve was what my duty was, you know, and the duty in italics, because I had read many books um, from Western, uh, from Eastern philosophies and duty was such a powerful word. Um, and in that process, I came back with a, an answer that I never really expected. And I realized my duty was to share those things that created the depths within me with others. And those were the opportunities to be in touch with nature. Uh, at that time, I was also um, an avid explorer, so mountaineer, uh, kayaking, whatever you, you know you think of in, in the outdoors I would do. Um, so I continued in that path and really focused on understanding how the experiences in nature molded uh, my inner self uh, and ultimately how I could actually help others have transcendent experiences in nature that could help them awaken and mold their own selves. Uh, and that's how I actually ended up creating Opepa and walking into this path. Uh, that I am right now. Mm, wow. So rich. And the work that you're doing now with Opipa, how much of it is bringing people into nature versus are you in classrooms, more like traditional education settings? Okay, we're, we're really not traditional at all. Uh, we have four areas. So in, in this discovery, I realized that learning is much more than education. So we do work with school, with students. We train teachers and work with students in, in wilderness education programs that are in, in this framework. But we're also working with communities that live next to national parks uh, and are involved in, in everything that has to do with nature tourism, realizing that, you know, nature tourism and regenerative tourism, if we're going to use that word, has to do with our capacity to bring that deep sense of belonging and understanding of our land and sharing it lovingly with others. So for me, that is what I would expect in a nature tourism space where I get to and, and someone to share that depth with me. So we've been focusing on, on nature tourism in that perspective and, and working with communities. On the other hand, we realize that regeneration is really not well understood. And 10 years ago, it was an emerging idea. Today is an idea that's becoming trendy. Uh, 
but it's actually becoming tokenized, I believe. So we created an initiative uh, focused or inspired by Christian Wall's uh, regenerative cultures work, uh, thinking on how we can uphold the principles of regeneration and narratives of regeneration uh, so we can guide uh, let's say the the implementation or the appropriation of these concepts in different spaces, uh, and with that we're working with communities bioregionally to to strengthen their capacity their capacities to tra transition towards regenerative bioregional approaches. Uh, so those three are really well connected in terms of regenerative mindsets. And then we have a more practical uh, work that has to do with bridging, bridging those mindsets with issues like climate change, uh, biodiversity loss, and the implementation in the real world. Because if we look, we do believe that we are at a moment that we cannot expect to just ima magically switch to a regenerative mindset. You know, we have all these scaffolds and structures that hold us, almost trap us into a way of being. Uh, so we need to start building bridges that allow us to escape those those structures and start building new ways or new structures that support regenerative mindsets. So we've been focusing on working on on trying to permeate, you know, uh, our country's response to climate uh, change and decarbonization from those narratives of regenerative and living systems perspectives and how we can inspire those small shifts that will allow us to build the structures that enable an emerging regenerative, uh, let's say, future or culture to emerge. Mm, I love what you're, what you're emphasizing there about we expect that we just move from the conventional mindset, not regenerative, to regenerative magically overnight. And it's making me think back to another conversation that I had as part of this series with Giles Hutchins, who talks about this threshold. And it's actually not just some smooth linear path, but we can't underestimate how challenging that process is. And it's this metamorphosis as he speaks about and a lot of shedding old belief systems, ways we see ourselves in the outer world and then adopting new ones, which are based on the living systems um, worldview. So thanks for that. And um, could you, because as I understand it, you're, you're exploring more about this piece around narratives that you come back to together. Could you share, like, what is that investigation looking at like? And for those who might not be so versed in that language of narratives and their more quantitative world in their day to day, like, what do you really mean by that? So in order to explore the idea of narratives, it all comes to the stories we tell. So I asked my, myself in this process, you know, does the way we act define the stories we tell? Or is it the other way around? Do the stories we tell define the way we act? And this was very important for me because I realized it's both simultaneously. Like many things, you know, we live in a constant play between, you know, creating stories that define how we act and acting in a way that defines the stories that we create. And maybe we have fallen trap uh, to this, to this cycle. And we have lost 
uh, our volition or, you know, our capacity to step out and realize that we actually create the stories. So if we look at modern economics, if we look at, you know, uh, the current way we relate uh, in race, gender, in any of the stories we tell, they're stories we are telling ourselves, we have created. So the, the next question that arises for me is, if we're creating the stories, why can't we create different stories? You know, why do we have to commit to the stories someone else created in the 50s or, you know, these structures that are, that are almost uh, reinforcing themselves day by day? So this is where the idea is, you know, we definitely need to work on the ground to shift processes and systems. And this is what I would call working in the transition in shallow regenerative uh, approaches, which are practices and processes. Um, but we might also need to start working deeper. So in deep regenerative thinking, and this is where narratives really come in because narrative mold the way we think and the way we think molds the way we act and the way we act molds the way we become, you know, and that's how we end up becoming. Um, so I think uh, in that process, I realized that we need to work in both spaces. And actually, it's not binary. It's actually multiple spaces, but we need to create narratives. So we need to create stories that allows us to understand the world differently. So if we look at living systems, or we ask a forest, which is something I always tell people, just ask the forest and see what it responds. Uh, we'll see that you know, living systems never respond from fragmented, siloed uh, perspectives. They're always interconnected, interrelational. It's always about the relationships. It's not about the components. So we start seeing responses that inform maybe new stories we need to tell. So if we focus that towards food systems, you know, when we eat something, like I mentioned earlier, if we, you know, have a, a, a bread with honey, are we able to really understand the story behind the honey? You know, the, the seven kilometers of flying of a bee to pick up a drop of nectar from a, from a flower and bring it back to the hive. And then four or five bees buzzing around to try to evaporate the water to make it more dense. You know, these, these are things that are almost romantic in many ways, but they tell the story of who we are. You know, we are in relation to everything we eat and to everything we relate to. Um, so creating new narratives means really researching on what are the current stories we're telling ourselves about food systems, about the soil, about production, about transformation, about, you know, the whole chain required for the food to reach our homes. What is the story we're telling ourselves of how we eat and consume the food, how we choose, how we, you know, move through the whole system uh, and trying to understand if those stories can be told in different ways, in a way that might bring that deeper interconnectedness to the story that might at least bring value to us when we actually act and consume, you know, a, a product of the earth and start relating 
to the whole story behind it and how that might change our full relationship with nature and with others in that context. That's the thing that I find this, and I love so much about working in food, is food as this vessel for powerful, positive change on, on something like nothing else in the world, because we are taking it into our bodies literally multiple times a day. And it is giving us this invitation to connect with what you just explained, these incredibly rich stories and journeys that that food has come on from the hands that tended it and the, you know, the bees that came and pollinated to the person preparing it, maybe in the kitchen of a restaurant where you're eating. And I remember on conversations probably a couple of years ago, someone asked me, what would you want to change most about the food system? And, and I almost felt nervous to say it because it was so qualitative, but I said, just reconnecting us with our food, like understanding, knowing the people and places behind it. Cause I think there's so much power and the stories are so important. So Thomas, what is, what's Kofsa doing in terms of shifting the narrative when it comes to food? Do you want to learn how to invest or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. Well, as, um, as um, Luis was saying, no, it's also, uh, I think you have to experience also these new narratives. So in, in the way we are convening, you know, discussions in the way we relate to our members and partners. We are trying, you know, to to embody these values and other ways of being and doing. Uh, the first uh, change of narrative that, uh, you know, is our objective is really to position that issue of the importance of inner capacities for food system transformation. That is in itself, you know, changing uh, a bit the story and uh, I think we, what we want is for everyone, uh, every stakeholder in the food systems to realize that uh, the food, food systems are not something that is outside of them, uh, out there. And they don't, I mean, through their, the, the narrative, they are holding the, the, the mindsets in which uh, they are participating into that food systems. We are all shaping uh, these uh, food systems. So that is also a, a narrative of, um, you know, realizing also our power, you know, uh, through changing our own being, we can uh, change uh, the food systems and it can go in many different ways. And even, you know, the way uh, we are in uh, these discussions with having these meetings, etc., can be, uh, I think what uh, an important thing we do is COPSA is that we uh, make people, uh, we allow people to start uh, discussing this agenda. And that is very liberating for people we, we've heard that a UN agency is offering the space to have this uh, discussion. Uh, the way also, you know, we, we, 
we present ourselves, we, 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 we show up in these discussions, maybe more as uh, trying to emphasize, you know, the, the human dimensions uh, rather than go with our, uh, you know, a lot of people are used uh, when they work to be with some kind of masks and professional uh, postures, etc. So if we can uh, drop that, that also invite uh, people to, to do the same. Um, so we'll be, uh, we are starting also at, at the moment, uh, Luis and his team is also working on specifically uh, uh, help us articulate what would be a more conscious uh, narrative to through the systems transformation. Mm-hmm. And as you're speaking, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, Emma, uh, I, I just wanted to add because I think there's something we're not bringing to the table right now. Many of the food systems we're getting accustomed are so far from natural uh, because, you know, food processing has become just a way of creating all these things that we consume. Um, and I think, you know, that distance in terms of uh, urbanization, technology and food process uh, has really increased that disconnect. So part of it is actually finding ways to break those barriers or to leap uh, beyond these these huge gaps we've created. Um, and for me, you know, what has really inspired me is speaking with some of the kids, you know, and this is not recent, 20 years ago, even in Colombia, you know, you would ask a kid where the milk came from. And the responses were totally surprising because there was no association of the food to the land or to any other being associated to that. So I think we have a great challenge, um, and we really need to understand, you know, a, how food processing and, and this whole movement of creating these quick fixes in things that can be saved for forever that are almost chemically produced, uh, and the impact that they really bring to ourselves. And if we look at school systems, for example, where kids eat every day, you know, what is happening within those institutions in companies. And I think we've seen some really interesting changes with the large tech companies that brought in organics and, and local farms and more conscious foods. And that is just a proof point of the importance of, you know, bringing in our capacities and connecting it to the processes that allow us to be intentional in, in, in relating to our food. Mm. So do you have any ideas like how do we bring this approach shift rather to some of these companies? What would you do in a dream scenario? Like there's so much processed food, like you're talking about it. Food that we're calling food, but it's, it's not even alive. How do we crack into those, those spaces? That is a big question. <laughs> <laughs> you don't necessarily need to have an answer. No, I, I clearly don't have a, a an answer, a full answer. But if it was I do easy, have it would have been done yesterday. Yeah, yeah tell I me. do have ideas. I think it all starts with recognizing our relationships, and that's why inner capacities become so critical. Because once we start reconnecting to the earth, reconnecting to our food, we start recognizing the value that is beyond. Uh, 
let's say the superficial part of of our relationship utilitarian relationship to eating you know when we realize the power of food to bring many other things uh in terms of well-being of health of nutrition of energy into our lives so i do think you know narratives are fundamental because we need to start bringing in narratives as the markets brought narratives of fast foods uh let's you know go back 40 years ago when you know the the birth of fast foods in the united states occurred and it actually happened through tv and through marketing you know uh telling people ah aren't you tired of you know working all day and having to cook so we'll give you a fix you have this packaged meal that you can cook in 10 minutes um and that's how it was a narrative we created a narrative but in creating that narrative of convenience we also stripped you know the experience of cooking for example which is an incredible experience if you learn to do it we have people in our communities that have never cooked uh and they, that is incredible considering our our most uh constant relationship with the earth is through the food we eat every day um so in that sense i think shifting narratives in different spaces uh the work we're doing right now with kofsa is going to focus on journalists and communicators because we think you know if if they're able to add new ways of communicating the narratives is going to be important but we have foreseen you know that new narratives need to come into policy makers into families into many groups uh and be able to tell stories the new stories and telling the new stories allow people to ask themselves new questions uh and to consider new solutions and new actions so i think that's definitely one way of doing it uh the other way i think is more practical in terms of the relationship of food systems with climate change and other of the big issues we have in our world if we are really going to work on decarbonization and work on recuperating soil health and and work on these issues we definitely need to focus on food you know we need to focus on the way food is being a uh, let's say generated in general and and our relationship to that but that brings you know our also focus on the territory to light so starting to work by originally and understanding our local foods so the narratives of the foods around us that are close to us that can come fresh that can come and bring vitality to us but at the same time that we can ourselves move to the place of that food and understand it and connect to that land uh you know that's still going to enable our inner capacities to be more conscious be more aware and and to start living in communities that are more resilient uh that sustain themselves and that build you know in many other capacities so they build the soil and i really think that re- regenerating soil will ultimately regenerate communities and our capacity to live well in on the planet. Why do you think that? I think that because in order to regenerate soil, uh, you know, current farmers need to start changing the way they relate to the soil. Uh 
And that changes the way they relate to the food in terms of the food being a commodity to the food being, you know, a result of this magical exchange between soil, nutrients, sun, water, uh, and, and the relationships generated in, in between the plants. Because if we're talking about a shift towards more agroecological, uh, let's say food production systems, you know, that brings a whole new level of understanding in relationships. And in order to do that switch, communities and farmers start relating with other communities and farmers differently. And then you get pollinators that come in as actors and other mammals and other species that become integrated into a relationship that is a lot more complex and that brings the qualities and the potentials of that food system to waken. Uh, and as they waken, they're waking up communities of microbes, communities of plants, communities of pollinators, of birds, of mammals, of humans. So as we start relating from a different perspective uh, and, and using that new awareness, you know, bioregional or, you know, starting to shift from local towards bioregional and then towards the global scape will definitely shift our, our relationships also. Um, so I think we can build really strong communities as we shift, you know, the way we, we generate our foods uh, locally. Mm, yeah, I just wanted to pick up on the, for listeners, if they haven't come across this phrase of bioregional food systems, because you're seeing it more and more often, and I'm a big believer, and that's the direction we need to move big time and moving from what you just described, like the linear supply chains that we're often referring to, to actually like these webs and networks that are very dynamic and interconnected um, and not homogenous and overly centralized as they are today, but entirely different distribution of of the energy flows and the power as well. So thank you for that. Um, Tomas, I just want to, to bring you in. I know we went off on, on a bit of a journey there, but in case you had any, any thoughts on that initial question of ideas. So the question was how to bring, uh, I think specifically you said companies uh, into that, right? Yeah, especially those that at large are very far, we'd say, from having a regenerative living systems approach to their, their products and operations. Sure. So, I mean, our approach is to work from the inside out. So really, uh, first, uh, you know, practicing with, um, you know, the people so that they can, you know, first reconnect with themselves. We have a, we have developed a, a training, a conscious food systems leadership program, uh, which is uh, with our partner, the Inner Green Deal which is structured around the inner development goals. So the first goal is about being, you know, and how we can, you know, be in touch with, with ourselves and or be more intentional about our values. Uh, the second session is about thinking and how we can, you know, have a, a more uh, systemic thinking and aware of you know, the fact that, you know, we're all made of uh, relationships. So being able to see all the interconnection in uh, in the food systems, uh, we are bringing also you know how to you know look at our assumptions or narratives about uh, food system transformation, and we'll uh, we'll um, 
we we use also the work that we're doing with uh, Luis and Opepa on that. So then we are bringing, you know, uh, compassion, meditate on, you know, the people that are and the beings that are involved in these food systems. Uh, maybe, uh, you know, uh, we can use also some mages or some clacks, you know, from uh, the the cattle industry and, you know, about animal welfare, for example, and what does it spark in us being able to open up, you know, to this natural quality of, of care and find our calling. And then we look at collaboration and uh, uh, how to, you know, better uh, manage our relationships with one another and in, in a way that is more uh, regenerative for, for, for everyone, how to deal with conflict, etc. And finally, the, the last, um, you know, uh, a goal and, and session is about acting, you know, and how we can, what does this mean then in our work? But we need to first experience ourselves so that we are then inspired to bring that into our work and into our projects. Uh, one, uh, in Kafsa, we um, talked about consciousness practices. One of them we see very powerful and very aligned with our work is a mindful eating uh, uh, practice. And I did guide one uh, uh, recently, uh, either way, in the Inner Development Goals Summit in, uh, in Stockholm. And, uh, and it was, I was even surprised how transformative it was for people. Uh, Myself, I'm quite used to it. I live, you know, next to this mindfulness practice center. Uh, but, you know, we need, I need um, uh, a, a guidance, a short talk, 15, 20 minutes about just to contemplate, you know, what is in our plate before eating? Where does it uh, come from, no? Uh, Etc. And And then, you know, just being able to eat in silence for 20 minutes was usually transformative for some of the, the people. For, for them, it completely changed their, <laughs> as they say that day, no? Uh, at least it completely changed, you know, their vision of, uh, of food. So that's a very simple practice, but just uh, telling us, you know, that can be uh, very transformative. So we're starting, you know, to uh, work with people. We want a more, basically, more regenerative food system. It's just also more, uh, you know, human uh, food systems without, you know, falling into uh, the uh, anthropocentrism, but it's just about also us being more uh, human. And uh, yeah, that's our entry point. I have to say in a CAPSA, we have, you know, put the priority on uh, gathering first the people that uh, naturally, uh, you know, believes in this agenda. And uh, I think it was a very uh, natural step and much needed to convey, you know, that sense of community to many people who often feel uh, isolated or not entitled to bring this perspective, this agenda into their work. And I think that has been uh, perceived very impactful. But yes, we're looking for next steps about how to engage uh, people who are a bit uh, further away in that. Mm, yeah, and as, as you emphasize, we all eat. Right. We may not all be meditators listening. That might seem a bit woo-woo or scary, but maybe just slowing down a bit, not eating, watching a screen, and just even being present with that first bite of food can start to to shift that relationship. And again, for those who are less familiar with Kafsa, when you're speaking about the members, who are they? And if people listening are working in food systems, can they join? Is this something that they can participate in? 
Sure, uh, they can uh, check our website, consciousfoodsystems.org, and there's a page about joining the movement where they can become members. So uh, in COPSA, we are uh, having people, we, we are taking a whole systems approach to uh, food systems transformation. That means we have identified entry points uh, throughout the food systems for this agenda. At the moment, we're having discussion on, for example, farmers' well-being and psychological resilience, which is a, a big issue. Uh, the role of traditional wisdom, and uh, especially within indigenous people and local communities for food system transformation. Uh, so at the, the local level, but also, uh, you know, uh, we'll be looking at some point into conscious consumption, into what does this mean for policy processes and multi-stakeholders dialogue, and even how to evolve, you know, the, the cultures of our organizations. So we are having people from all over the world and from all across the, the food system. They just, uh, so it's very diverse and we recognize also that, you know, this conscious food systems approach uh, means very different things in different contexts, right? Uh, so uh, we are very aware uh, and we have a, we appreciate this uh, rich uh, diversity and uh, I think it's very powerful also just to, to align also uh, and come together around one simple message, which is, you know, we also need to, to look inside and, 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 and transform food systems from the inside out also. Mm -hmm. And where, because it's still fairly recent, um, you know, starting a little while ago with that first paper, which is a great credibility point, I find, to just legitimize this topic and conversation. But when we play things out in one, three, five years, like, what is your dream of what Kafsa will become? Or, yeah, what will it become? What's its essence? Yeah, it's very difficult to say. It's very open-ended and uh, we are very um, emergent. Uh, we are all constantly, you know, uh, evolving also as, you know, depending on opportunities and, and resources. Uh, I think, I mean, to, to us, uh, important next steps are about how to empower our members so that they can uh, became agents of transformation for this agenda. So one thing is uh, we will have courts of members for this conscious food systems leadership program that I mentioned and we we'll, are developing uh, tools, uh, you know, toolkits, etc. for them to be able to uh, bring this agenda into their work, into their community. Uh, we also uh, have um, had uh, uh, financing uh, projects on the ground, testing interventions as we are doing now with uh, Opepa and, and, and Luis. Uh, so I think one thing is to empower members. I would say the other uh, important aspect would be also as part of that also is to find more uh, strong strategic partners to, to come with us in COPSA and that, you know, decentralize more uh, the work between different uh, partners, not necessarily through the COPSA Secretariat in, uh, in UNDP. And uh, I think finally, an important uh, objective for us also is to be able to, to raise more funds because we see not only, you know, for ourselves, let's say, as uh, COFSA Secretariat or COFSA members, but we are having, you know, right now we are preparing a donors roundtable where we will discuss this whole agenda, not only for food, but also the role of interchange for 
the environmental agenda and including also for uh, for use. So it's really, I think, uh, a new field. We are part of, of a more uh, of a broader movement, you know, looking at interchange for regeneration, sustainability, and uh, it's not yet uh, uh, much on the map of decision makers and funders. So we are trying also to grow this uh, this awareness. Mm, and I can imagine there's so much in terms of the learnings already to date that can be leveraged and applied be well beyond food. Um, now, I want to shift gears and ask a couple of questions that I like to ask all my guests. So one of them is, we've spoken about so much of this very in very qualitative terms. And some people ask, can this be measured? Do you think a regenerative mindset can be measured? And if so, how? Luis, maybe you can kick us off. That's that's a great question, Emma. Um, I think it can be measured, but it cannot maybe be measured in the same way we measure everything or we think we should measure things. So I'm, I'm working a little bit inspired by Nora Bateson's work on warm data. Uh, you know, everybody asks me of the work we do. So what, what are your KPIs? And, you know, I have a, a immediate reaction <laughs> and rejection to that phrase. And I realize it has to do with what I now call the KBIs. You know, it's key behavioral indicators, not key progress indicators. So how do we measure this? We measure this uh, measuring the quality of relationships in a community. And the quality of relationships in those three layers that I spoke of in relationships with, you know, with myself, with others, with nature. So it has to do with uh, measuring mental health, measuring hope, measuring, you know, these qualities that actually are a representation or manifestation of the state of a community in its totality. So we we have to be able to measure vitality of living systems, uh, uh, you know, vitality of community organizations and events, uh, happiness, uh, you know, these type of more warm oriented uh, aspects. So I do think uh, we can measure, but the true measure always ends up being within. So this is where it becomes more complex. Uh, everybody in their development and in their evolution is in a different place. Every company is in a different place. So we cannot measure in the same manner everyone. Because actually, I think the regenerative mindset is not measured in comparison to other regenerative mindsets. It's actually measured in the transformation of my capacity to move towards the concept of, you know, realizing my interbeing. And, and I think Plum Village and Niche not, not has been, let's say, the champion in this concept, but really being able to move towards that place where in all my relations, is creating the conditions for life to thrive. So that is the process of, of let's say, of, I think, embracing regenerative minds. Um, so each person needs to measure its own based on where they are, the speed of transformation they're, they're in, engaged in, and uh, the, the constant or the inertia they're generating, the momentum. And I think in that sense, we realize that the collective mindset 
moves as the individual mindsets move. Uh, and it's not in comparison. So it's not something to say, I'm moving faster than you, or I have a more regenerative mindset than you. No, it's our capacity to collectively start shifting and evolving together. At the same time, the capacity we have to shift and evolve our inner capacities and inner uh, being uh, and be able to measure in those qualitative uh, warm data points. So we should definitely ask ourselves, how happy are you? You know, how whole do you feel? How connected do you feel to yourself, to others and to nature? Uh, how at peace are you? And maybe creating inner capacity measurements that a person can monitor and be able to, to see if they're building those capacities to move forward and, and, you know, and measure this. And I'm sure there's science uh, measurements to many of these qualities, uh, but I do think it's more from the warm data sciences than from the traditional KPI structures. Mm -hmm. Thank you for all of that. And it sounds like an, a foundation underpinning all of it is sufficient awareness to even be able to report self-report on some of these things like connection and, and happiness and sense of wholeness. Thomas, what about you? Indeed, uh, uh, we are just starting a work with uh, an important coalition you probably know called Region 10, uh, which have uh, started to recognize you know, the importance of mental models as part of their framework on regeneration. No? And they want us to um, uh, and we are about to, to work with them on that too. And what we have proposed to develop is a methodology for local communities to have these discussions on their cultures, on their values, how regenerative they are. And as you say, you know, at, at the same time we are, and that may be used as a situation analysis, a, a baseline uh, that can inform, for example, some project design. Uh, but at the same time, you know, having this conversation, uh, looking into this subject is bringing some awareness to this inner collective, uh, you know, uh, landscape. So, um, and we, uh, with them, we have had some, uh, some discussion that are, that are ongoing about, you know, because they are working on an outcome measurement framework for regeneration and, you know, can we fit mental models there or not? So definitely, you know, our approach will be very uh, qualitative, uh, but uh, there may be also some ways to kind of pre-code answers around different, you know, around some scales and and see how this uh, evolves uh, as uh, as we go um, which uh, yeah I'm, I, I think this is uh, very possible uh, but and it's part of our all I mean in our UNDP food and agriculture team we are uh, a project and we are looking very much at how to from system change approach and we have a project looking at monitoring and evaluation for system change and there are a lot of aspects you know, including uh, you know relationships etc that are uh, quite hard to measure or trust and you know this kind of elements that we know are important for system change and also you know may uh, we have to recognize that these transformations are not linear uh, whether at the the collective level or even at the individual level you know uh, 
transformation, individual transformation is a process and sometimes it's a healing process and it has, sometimes it has to go worse before uh, it goes better. You know, often people go, uh, even uh, many <laughs> regenerative people went through a burnout uh, and just, uh, uh, which was transformative to, to, to them. So, uh, and what we have found also in COPSA is that people really need to experience in person uh, this kind of work to understand how transformative it is. We um, we had this year a strategic retreat in um, in Schumacher College in the UK, and which was you know we were 40 and we have a couple of testimonies that said for them it was a life changing experience. And we only had uh, let's say three days of being together, but the way we we, we connect uh, through these kind of practices was really uh, transformative. So, and that's even our strategy to involve, you know, more donors, more partners is that uh, you will get it uh, much more easily if we're able to spend time in person together. Uh, so yes, we need to work on this uh, measurement, show the impact of our work, etc. But this whole uh, inner uh, or inside out transformation, uh, you really need to be able to experience yourself in order to understand, you know, what's the potential for for communities, for, for societies. It's something the rational mind can try to, but can't fully comprehend the way that lived experience can, just following that Vedic experience first, knowledge second principle. So thanks for emphasizing that. Now, we're heading to the end of our conversation and I, I want to, I know we spoke a bit about what we might do with ideas for working with the big companies, but if we zoom out even more and we say, if you could do one thing tomorrow to help as many decision makers and investors in food and ag develop their regenerative mindset, what would it be? Louise, what comes for you? For me, one thing not related necessarily to food systems is allowing them to to have awe, to experience awe, and fall back in love with nature. I think that is definitely the beginning to many changes. And in relation to to food, really creating a space uh, in whatever scenario it is for people to actually think and reflect intentionally of what happens and where the food is coming from, uh, that they're, they're they're using, you know, and I think this has to do a lot with the mindful eating, but also with uh, the conscious awareness of the connections associated to what we eat uh, and and the question of relationships. So I think those two things in combination allow people to open their hearts into a different level of compassion and a, a level of empathy with living systems and an understanding of the interconnected and interdependent qualities that actually allow the vitality for us to enjoy this magical uh, planet. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Tomas, how about for you? Well, I don't have much uh, to add, no. <laughs> I think, yeah, uh, how do you do that? Uh, maybe, uh, you know, spending time in nature, spending time also allowing time for yourself and, you know, being um, connected to, to what is important for you to, you know, um, um, step out of the automatic mode to be really uh, be able to, pre- to be present for yourself for, uh, you know, take some nature walks and uh, and just, you know, um, 
you know, think about, you know, what's what's really important for you, what really makes sense in terms of bringing uh, happiness and meaning to, to your life. Uh, I think that's uh, probably the way that we can, um, you know, um, sow the seeds of uh, regeneration in uh, everyone's mind. Mm. And, and Emma, if I'm allowed to add one thing, and I'm listening to Thomas uh, speak, and, you know, the the sense of allowing moments of silence becomes really important. I think in today's world, we're so saturated by everything that's around us, both in the cities, in our phones, in, in communication, uh, that really allowing space of silence, it can be not in nature, but it would be best in nature, uh, or even looking out the window and, and have yourself a space of silence looking at a tree, dancing in the wind. Just those moments of silence definitely allow us to sense the different qualities that make us human, uh, which sometimes are, you know, overhauled by all the noise we have around us. It's like you read my mind because I was going to ask for someone who's you know, just wanting a brief practice where they start. And you just offered one, even you can do it at your desk and look outside the window because even if it's a leaf on a tree in the middle of a city, that too is, is just as valuable as a tree in the middle of an incredible forest and connecting with it. So thank you for that. I think that's a perfect place to end on. So thanks so much for coming on and having this global conversation crossing several countries today. Thank you, Emma. Great to, to be together. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you liked this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.